0: If you don't have those key players in your field, your project managers, your your superintendents giving some type of guidance, it's never going to work.
1: Today, I've got John Hoffman of Innovative Design Concepts joining me on the podcast. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, and he shares his principles for managing a design build operation. Let's jump into it. John, welcome to the Home Pro
0: Success Show. Thank you for having me, Corey.
1: Awesome, man. So, for those of you guys out there listening, John's a local guy here in Naples, Florida, right, just right up the road from me, right in my service area as well. So, I'm pumped to have him on the show today and hear what he has to say. John, why don't you give everyone an overview of your business? How long ago did you start? What's the name of your business? What do you guys
0: do? How many employees do you have? Absolutely. Well, we started in 2014. You know, we renovate homes from large to small, whether it's just a small bathroom or a kitchen or it's your whole home or condo. Right now we're operating anywhere between 31 to 44 guys, all dependent on the season. And there's not much we don't tackle. So, you know, we actually have an in-house designer that does our bathrooms and kitchens. And then all of our trades are also in-house other than the specialty trades, meaning HVAC, electrical, and plumbing. So, you know, our, our like we were talking about earlier, our payroll is a, a lot larger than I'd like it to be at times. But that enables us to control the field and, you know, commit the promises or commit to agreements that that we can keep a lot better.
1: Yeah. One of the things that kind of jumped out at me there was when you said, you know, you're doing remodels and you said you've got 30 plus people on staff. I'm thinking, wow, for your typical remodeling firm that generally most remodelers are trying to subcontract things out, that's a lot of people on staff. And then you further went on to address it, that essentially other than the mechanical trades, you guys are doing that stuff in-house. Is there a particular reason for that? Why not sub this out like many of the other design build operations out there?
0: What I've learned is the more that we control the field, the happier the customer is. Unfortunately, here in Southwest Florida, a lot of times the trades or the subcontractors aren't as loyal as we'd like them to be, or they don't they don't commit the way that that I want to commit to my clients. So in other words, it's supposed to show up on a, a Wednesday. They don't answer their phone and then they they show up on a Friday. Well, I've had a customer that's been waiting for electrical to be done for the next two days or waiting for painters to show up or whatnot. So this really enables us to say, hey, these are the commitments we're making and this is the way that I'm going to make those commitments. And in that, for lack of better words, I receive less butt chewings and better reviews, obviously. Yeah,
1: that all makes sense and that's what it's all about. I got to tell you there's nothing worse and everybody out there listening that knows there's nothing worse than having unhappy customers and uh-huh. with subs at least here in Southwest Florida that's what you get. I'm always envious of people that I hear about doing several million dollars a year in revenue and largely subcontracting all the work and it, you know this happens in other places but here in Southwest Florida it just seems like the sub pool is I don't want to say non-existent. There are some but they are just not loyal dollar hoppers you know if they get something that's going to pay better or promises better they just well they just jump on that train and you know then they'll right. come back to you or they'll hold you hostage we've had this because you know at gca we perform everything in-house at this point but flashback seven eight years ago 2012 when we were just starting out my initial plan was to subcontract out many of the larger projects and we quickly realized that wasn't going to work. We'd have subs scheduled to show up and they'd say, you know, sorry, can't get to it today unless you want to pay another 25%. I mean, literally point blank, just like that. And on one hand, I'm glad to hear that it's not just me that's had that experience. I have to say that.
0: Well, you know, and if if you watch you and and you go to your your reviews and things like that, it's phenomenal where a lot of contractors will have the ability to call the, the client and say, hey, sorry, they held me hostage. We'll be there in a week and a half. I don't like those conversations. No,
1: I don't I don't like them either. And it, well, it subsequently doesn't lead to happy customers. You know, re- referrals and repeat business doesn't lead to any of that stuff. And that's what really matters when you're building a business is referrals and repeat business.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So here's an interesting question. You've been in business now for a little over five years at this point. How many customers have you actually had come back to you and have you do a subsequent project? What's your repeat customer rate like?
0: I mean, right now I did a bathroom or a, yeah, a bathroom remodel five years ago in Bonita Bay. And I'm at her house actually starting today, putting up Wayne's coating and doing some painting and things like that. So it's pretty good. I mean, right now it's probably around 30, 35% because of the, the time frame. Some of the first people we've reached out to and stayed in contact with are now, you know, coming back to us here 5 years later to spruce up the paint or, or do things around the house to, you know, keep the value up.
1: That's powerful, man. Do you guys do anything do you do anything strategic to keep them coming back or do you just focus on the basics?
0: I mean, we we're huge on follow-ups. Our first core value is responsiveness. So we respond to the needs of our clients and our employees, but I'm huge on follow-ups and the two things that happen on follow-ups, one, we're in front of the client. Two, it lets the client know that we care about them. So, you know, if you're getting a Christmas card from me around this time, if if I worked for you five years ago or last year and you're hearing from me, you know, twice a year, even if I've done the job five years ago or three years ago, I'm still reaching out and just saying, hey, how is everything? And just letting them know, creating creating that relationship and that friendship with the clients.
1: Walk me through it. What does a typical call sound like when you call them five years down the road or two years down the road? Because a lot of contractors out there, and I'll say that I've even been in this boat, you know, like, okay, yeah, we need to call the customer and follow up with them. It's great, you know, after the project a couple of years, but what do I say without sounding awkward? How do I make this flow smoothly? So do you have a script or a go-to line or anything on it?
0: You know, we really don't have a script. I'm blessed with it, with a great team. And I call her my my clerical genius. And then my office manager is also amazing. But when we, when we follow up with those calls, we don't make it about the work. We make it about, hey, how are you enjoying your kitchen? Hey, how's the house? Were you able to enjoy the grandkids? More or less just small talk and letting them know, hey, we're thinking about you. And we want to hear some of your testimony of how you've enjoyed your house since Innovative has, has done what it's done to it. And a lot of times, man, that's, that's pretty much it. Just, just small talk, not saying, Hey, can we help you out anymore? Is there anything else we can do? It's more or less just saying, Hey, we're checking in and we, we want to hear, you know, you're enjoying your house now in that there has been times where they say, you know, actually I'm glad you called because this happened. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a small warranty issue and we take care of that. And they're amazed They're like, hold on, you did my house a year and a half ago. The receptacle was crooked, or whatever we found out when I was sitting on the couch. And you actually came over here and straightened the receptacle. But we understand that when they're talking to their friends and family, those moments are going to be brought up. I mean, obviously, we want to do the right thing, but we also understand that, hey, you know, my contractor did my house a year and a half ago, and he called me out of nowhere. And I talked about our receptacles that weren't straight, and he came over here and straightened them. So, you know, that's another plus that we found out by doing.
1: Yeah. That's a very powerful touch point there. So, I mean, essentially what I'm hearing you're doing with these is you're basically trying to focus on the positive outcome. You know, when when you call them, you're, you're calling them to make sure that they are getting the positive outcome they wanted when they got the project in the first place, when they first hired you.
0: Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah.
1: And I know, I know what it's like making those calls and then getting hit with, well, this is a problem and that's the problem. And yes. uh, you know, there's a warranty. <laughs> that, that can make you yeah. cringe. That can make you yes. cringe. I, I've done it. You know, I've been there. I didn't want to make these calls. I call it the happy call. I didn't want to make it because nobody was happy. And if you're in that boat, I really 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 suggest like just stop worrying about marketing, stop worrying about selling and focus on fixing your operation before you even go any further. You are doing yourself a disservice if you are trying to pull more customers into a system that makes you cringe when you have to call them back in 6 months to follow up with them and see how their actual project went.
0: That's good, Corey. No, I've, a mentor in my life told me this years ago. He said, "John, if we if we focus on the job and the client, the money will come. So -hmm. if you focus on making your business right and doing what's right, regardless of the situation, the money will flow. But if you focus on the marketing and the money and trying to find the next client, you're always going to be focused on those dollars, which ultimately lead to shortcuts and your word that you use, cringe. Yeah. Yep.
1: That is exactly how it is. And I know it from the school of hard knocks because I went down that road. Everybody that's heard my story knows we kind of blew up really fast. The, qu- the first two years, we had a bunch of people on payroll. And looking back, I don't know how we actually made it. It was a total circus back then. And it you know, finally came to, it came to a head at one day. I'm not going to tell the story, but there was a big operational catastrophe. And at that point, my business partner and I basically just fired everyone and said, all right, we're going to do this stuff ourselves and rebuild from the ground up. So on that note, was there, what has been the biggest struggle? You, know, you started in 2014. What was the biggest you know, kind of smack in the face when it came to actually running this own business or growing this business? What what was the big rude awakening? Or was there a big rude awakening? Or was there many small ones? Tell us about some of the struggles that you had to get over through this whole process.
0: I think the biggest issues that people have when starting their own business is how much work it takes. So in the beginning, I was the salesman. I was the guy sending the invoice. I was doing the work you know, putting in eighty-five, ninety to a hundred hours a week. And there was times my employees even made more money than I. And just that grind, you know, man, is this is this gonna get better? When when am I gonna be that successful guy that, you know, you you go into business thinking, okay, I'm gonna start this business. So ultimately I'm gonna make more money. I work for myself. I create my own hours and all these things. And and I think that's a big lie that people grab a hold of. And then they go to they go to start their business, and they get the new truck right off in the beginning. They they pay themselves a large salary in the beginning, and, and list goes on. And then they realize it's it's a lot more than than what they they bargained for, and they they throw in the towel. So I mean, some of our hardships was was just that, you know. For me, is building that foundation organically, and you know, having my wife support and and things like that of saying, you know, hey. We're gonna make this work, but this is this is what we gotta do right now to to keep the business going and focus on the business itself, not necessarily, you know, my revenue and, and my salary. Again, it's kind of the same principle I was just talking about and focusing on money is a lot of people do that, man. They hit that grind and it can get away from you quicker. Like you said, you know, two years in you created a monster you couldn't control and it got nope. away from you. So I think organics is one of the main things. And again, I had a, a mentor in my life that guided me in some of that stuff. And I'm grateful for that. But I mean, it's still a battle, Corey. You know that
1: mm-hmm.
0: with, you know, payroll being around $30,000, you're at 120000 a month. That's not including your shop. That's not including your, your office, your gas. So you're turning a lot of numbers. And, you know, it, I know it's what it's like. That. Yeah. I still,
1: sometimes I'll still look at like a credit card statement and, you know, we'll, we'll put a hundred grand on the credit card in one day. And I'm like, wow, this is a ton of money. I don't even spend as much money personally in one year. And, yeah. you know, here it is. And then I'll go to transfer from the credit card, or the bank account to the credit card to pay it off each month. And it, you know that number will be three yeah. or 400 grand. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, one click of a button and, you know, here I'm just moving this money around and it sometimes still seems surreal.
0: People don't realize it, you know, and I'm learning it today as well, and you know someone asked me the other day says, "What time do you get up in the morning i said my I said, as soon as my responsibilities wake me up, I haven't used an alarm clock in three years, you know my wow. responsibilities wake me up in the morning you know what I mean? <laughs> so you know that that credit card statement wakes me up in the morning." you know, being an entrepreneur, I've gotten past
1: that part. I mean, there, there were times when I couldn't sleep and I'd wake up thinking about what I had to do, you know, like literally, you know, before sunrise, even I've gotten a little bit past that. I do use an alarm clock these days.
0: That's awesome. I'm trying to get (laughs) there.
1: Yeah. So, so the biggest, the biggest challenge, I guess, for you was essentially just seeing how much work it takes going into actually running the business.
0: Oh, absolutely. I looked at a guy, Larry West, who's my partner now when I was young mm-hmm. and I used, to thought, I used to really think that he just drove around and collected money all day. I mean, that was my concept of a business owner. Oh, these yeah. guys just drive around and collect money. We're making them millions or we're making them. But when you, when you start your own business and you realize what it takes to create a successful business, you realize there's a lot more to it. And there's days that I'd rather be out there swinging a hammer than dealing with, with what I deal with at times. But that makes sense.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. I will always say this because I run into people that are like, hey, look, I'm just a one man, oper- one guy, and I've got two good guys that work for me. And I make a ton of money and it, you know, they tell me their margins. I'm like, yeah, I can't say I blame you. I just want to keep it like that too. It, there's, right. there's a lot of headache in the first few years. Getting over that hump is a challenge. But going on from that, it it does get pretty good. And there's no other way that I would personally rather have it.
0: No, I couldn't change it.
1: So... You've made it. You've made it over the hump, so to say. What would you say are your top principles for running a design and build operation? Well, like if you had to give the five step John Huffman crash course in running a successful design build operation, what would you say
0: they are? Well, core values speak for themselves responsiveness, excellence, attitude, and liability. And the responsiveness I put first because I think the follow-ups and letting clients, communicating with clients, and even your field and your key players is a critical part. Not putting things on the back burner, especially when you have issues and things like that, or something is a little more difficult. I'm a firm believer in taking that from the bottom, putting it at the top, and hitting it head on. So communication and responsiveness is ultimately the key. And then operating in excellence no matter what whether the client sees it or you see it. If you see it, you need to fix it no matter what. I don't care if the client's happy or not. If you know it's wrong or you know you can do a better job, again, pull out of the pocket, do the right thing. We all reap what we sow and and I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. And then positive attitudes and then liability, meaning we're not a finger pointer. I don't like to get into finger pointing with clients. We're gonna take full liability for things and we're gonna fix it regardless of the situation. Now, as far as follow-ups are concerned, and what I think for marketing and sales for me is getting out there in a timely manner, doing what I said I'm going to do, and then getting in, back in contact with those clients within a three-day period, whether they've got numbers in those three days or it's a call saying, hey, listen, we're thinking about you. We want to get you these numbers. Unfortunately, we can't get them to you today, but look for them on this day. Those follow-ups and letting clients know that, hey, you're in our thoughts, you're in our mind. And we haven't forgotten about you. You're not just another number to us. And I and I really think that we're not the lowest guy on the market. And I've been told that we just got a job awarded two weeks ago where two other people were lower than us. But they said our responsiveness and our follow ups and showing up on time is what sold them. Because they're like, if these other guys kinda kicked the can down the road a few times and they said if they're gonna do that before they got the job, what are they gonna do while they have the job? So that that was a big part. And you know, we were close to 18% higher than the closest bid to us. But because we put in that work up front, we got the job awarded. So, I mean, I'd say that's our main thing is just communication and building those relationships with clients.
1: Absolutely. One thing I want to point out there is, you know, when you talked about your responsiveness and bid you got, even though you're higher, 18%. And then, you know, kind of tying that back into... The very first thing you said is being on point, essentially being professional, that I'd guess that you don't play the game of trying to be the last bidder.
0: No, not at all.
1: And you, know, you know what I'm referring to there. And that is essentially how many contractors always try to string their bids out three weeks, you know, or, well, have you gotten yeah. any of bids? Okay, well, get some other bids and then call me back. Or they essentially yeah. want to wait till the customer is just so frustrated that they're the last option. Then they just go with them. And yeah. You're not playing that game.
0: No. No sir. Not at all. You know, I want I want the good taste to be from day one. I want those, you know, a lot of people say vibes. I want those good vibes. I want I want that connection from the beginning because this this is a huge thing for us and a lot of these remodels they take 3 months, 4 months. And you're dealing with these people on a daily and weekly basis. And you said it in the beginning of this podcast. You said nobody likes dealing with upset customers. It's no. just not good for the soul, <laughs> you know. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, I want to start that good that good vibe right from Jump Street and let them know that hey, you're important to us, and we want we want your work. This is because I know for me personally, if you drag me down the road, I'm gonna feel like. I'm just another person and I'm not important to you, you know, and and I don't want anybody to feel that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Always make the customers feel like they are the only job you have the most important ones out there. Always make them feel important. And it goes back to kind of the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. Let's shift gears a little bit. You mentioned operational excellence. Now, With 30 to 40 people on staff, I know that you are not just sending people out to complete projects without some type of process and checklist at the end of the project. So what do things look like internally for you to keep 30 to 40 people delivering operational excellence?
0: Well, key players is your your first thing. You know, you can have every system in the world, but if you don't have those key players in your field, your project managers, your superintendents, give you some type of guidance it's never gonna work so I would say that and then you know we started off you know using Excel spreadsheets and things like that and trying to keep track what we have developed is we use a program called Builders trend where everything goes in everything goes into this program and it's really a wonderful program because everybody can access what they need to know so you know, my tile guys are on job and they're saying which direction does this tile go? They can go right into builder train, click on it. The designer inputted the tile, the direction that it's going, the grout color, things of that nature. And we even go one step far further as well on, on larger projects and print those out and 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 tape them to the wall. So, you know, with a picture saying this is how it's 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 going down. But again, having those key players is is probably the main thing. Finding finding people that are loyalist. And that treats your company as if it's theirs, yeah. which is hard to find. But I think that's the key to success too, because I can I can sell $10 million worth of work, but if if we can't get it done right, it's worthless. Um, so I really rely on my field and my key players to, to accomplish that for me.
1: Do you have any type of process at the end that's either ran through by your superintendents or your foremans to make sure that the work that's completed is actually up to standard and that people are not just, Well, kind of half-assing it and walking away.
0: So what we've learned and what I put in the system, because it holds me accountable too, to make sure that happens is we will not send the last invoice until myself, my partner, or my other key player has walked the job and gave it a clean clean bill of health. And that's really helped us because getting through that red zone is really tough. And what happens is if you get to that 90-yard line and you get your monies or whatnot, and you leave off of that job and, you, and you're focused on other jobs, getting those small couple punch items taken care of in a timely manner is hell for a lack momentum, of momentum. Momentum.
1: You got to keep up the momentum when you're on that project. If that momentum dies, well, it goes uh, to hell.
0: Yep. Yes, 100%. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, that that's never happened to us because it has. And it's something that we implemented about eight months ago is look, you're not sending that final invoice until we walk the job, that customer's shaking my hand, telling me, send the check. Because then I know that we, we're not pulling no one off that job. It's complete. It's ready. Send the check. And then move our men to where they need to go. And that, that's helped us tremendously.
1: Right on, right on. Good stuff with that. We're so we're running out of time, but there's something you mentioned there that I think has been well, it's always a topic, but it just came up in the home pro marketing and sales on our Facebook group in the last week. That's payment structure and deposits. What does your deposit structure look like and payment structure?
0: I mean, on on small jobs that are, you know, under ten, twenty thousand dollars, we're usually fifty percent of that deposit on our larger remodels and things like that, we're 20% deposits, which start the selection process, the permit process, all those fun things, getting tiles ordered and and things like that. But it really just, we, we go on a percentage, usually 20, 50, and then, you know, our rough with remodels, you have rough plumbing, you have final plumbing, things like that. So we structure our invoicing based on the inspections as well. So if it's a twenty percent deposit up front, fifty after demo, that allows us to get our selections bought and everything mm-hmm. else. And then once the rough electrical and plumbing's done, everything behind the walls, my subs invoice me 70%. So then we ultimately invoice the client seventy percent to square up all of that. And then we go to what I call the red zone, which is your ninety percent line.
1: But if you're doing 20 and then 50 on right after demo, basically, before you really start actually improving anything, at least in a legal sense, mm-hmm. you're essentially getting 70% up front.
0: Well, no, I mean, 20% and then we'll invoice another 30%. So it puts us at that 50%. 50, okay, 50, okay. So 50%, so 50% yeah.
1: before you actually start the improvement. Yeah. Well, I'm not one to critique payment schedules. I always just like to hear what they are. In my company, we typically do... We'll typically do 20. Well, we're about the same as you. 25% when you sign up on larger projects, 25% the day we either demo and remove the old enclosure or show up to do it. Yep. So we're not going to get started on improving it until we've had 50%, unless it's the smaller projects, the more maintenance oriented projects within our scope of work. And those can, mind you, be $10,000 plus for us. That's not uncommon. Oh, sure. We'll typically you know, just do a 25% deposit balance on completion.
0: Yeah. Well, I know I had my wallpaper guy the other day. He always gets deposits and he's working with the designer for whatever reason. He didn't get a deposit on one job and they had words and he had paper up. And long story short, he walked off the job and she got someone else to finish it. And he really didn't have a leg to stand on because he didn't have the deposit. And oh, wow. the argument happened over he wanted the designer to come there and look at the job itself before he continued. He didn't feel like it was up to his standards and he wanted her to verify it before. So, you know, I think those deposits put skin in the game and, and they're definitely necessary.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I can't fathom why clients... Well, I mean, I see on one hand, they want, you know, as little skin in the game, as little risk as possible. It's a natural human tendency, but at the same time they should have, and at least understand it on a, you know, on explanation, they should have as much skin in the game as we do. For sure. That's it. You know, I mean, I certainly wouldn't say, all right, you know, let's give hundred percent or pay prepay for the project up front, but a deposit. Yeah. Everyone, everyone should get it. I wouldn't run a business without getting the deposits. Mind you, our smaller projects, our service calls and all that stuff, we don't always take a deposit on that. But when you're getting, when you're getting into ordering actual materials for a client, always, always, always get the deposit. And if the client, you know, if the client can't come to terms with that, well, then go out and find another client because there's most 99% of reasonable people out there. will will see eye to eye with you on the deposit or deposit structure where you're not taking more than half of the money before actually doing anything.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, on that note, that sounds like a wrap today with John Huffman from Innovative Design Concepts in Naples, Florida. John, what's the best way of reaching out to you? If anybody, any of our listeners want to reach out to you by email?
0: Yeah. Email john at naplesconstruction.net. And um, you can reach us also through the website naplesconstruction.net or look us up on the internet.
1: All right. Sounds good. John, thanks for joining me today.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Corey. You have a great one, man.
1: You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us
0: and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.